Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 177, recorded August 24th, 2014. We kind of finished the telepathy war, or at least the way I think they originally envisioned it, but uh, we will have a little leftover next week. So today we do Unlimited, number six, and Telepathy War, number one. Yeah, which really is like you say, the end of the real story arc. I have not read the Voyager episode that touches on this too, but it should be interesting to see how they uh, work that in when we do read it. Right. It it is odd that on the cover, and I think I said this last week, Voyager says it's issue number five of the Telepathy War, or six of the Telepathy War. Right. And yet, when you look at the cover of, um, or inside cover of the Telepathy War number one, it says, you know, Voyager's in there. But those are the only two references that any of the other advertisement material Marvel put out advertising the Telepathy War even mentions uh, Voyager in there. Right. And, you know, issue five of Telepathy War number one, on the cover, the conclusion of the Telepathy War. Right. So I don't know how there's a number six, but. Well, and quite frankly, all the loose ends seem like they're tied up in uh, right. Telepathy War Number One. It seems like it's all done. Uh, you yeah, know I mean, everything. Earth, so I don't when know Earth what was destroyed. I don't see where else they're going to go with it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, funny. Um, yeah, so it, it's some kind of leftover. I, I think it's a little forced, quite frankly. I mean, they, right. they, they, but we'll see. Maybe they do something clever. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe it's just from a marketing I standpoint. I haven't read it yet either. So there, there is one plot point that comes out of this, uh, the second issue we'll do today that I think, well, maybe that could make its way all the way to the Delta Quadrant, but it really seems forced. And we'll talk yeah. about it um, in my in my notes. Oh, okay. Well, you have a theory. Good. I, don't. I have a theory just because I, I'm reading these two books, going, how the heck are. Lloyd, you're going to be involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> and you're good at coming up with things. However, at times, forced they may be, but... <laughs> That's what makes them so fun. Exactly. Very creative. Okay, man. So are you ready to get this going? Yeah, let's see how this all plays out. So uh, we're only doing the two issues today because they are both uh, double-sized, annual-sized uh, issues. So we thought we would cut out the third story. Right. So hopefully no one's really disappointed. Well, there's plenty of material here. All right, well then, uh, I'll go ahead and start with issue number six then, if that's all right. Please do. All right, it is entitled Heart of Darkness, a Telepathy War Crossover. Uh, It is number four of the Telepathy War Crossover. Uh, It came out November 1997, Story by Abnett and Ed Edkinton. Abnett and Edkinton. Um, pencils by Ron Randall. Inks Art Nichols. Colors by Kevin Tinsley. Letters by Phil Felix. 
Travel agent is Chip Carter. The editor is Tim Tui, and editor-in-chief, Bob Harras. So the cover shows Picard being strangled by a liquid shapeshifter who's standing behind him. And then behind this grisly scene, we see a, a row of video monitors, each monitor depicting a face of the Enterprise crew or a member of Omega Squad. And then the caption reads, In the Gamma Quadrant, a traitor among us. Bum, bum, bum. So the story starts off with the Enterprise and an armada of Federation and Klingon ships leaving the Alpha Quadrant via a wormhole. Admiral Decker meets with the captains of all the ships, and he informs them that their real mission will be to find out what the Founders' plans were with this attack, and not necessarily an all-out revenge attack. Galron is none too happy to hear this news. He was ready for blood. Decker tells the captains that the true mission is to be kept a secret. So if anybody else finds out, then he'll know that one of these captains is not who they say they are. Elsewhere on the Enterprise, Riker assigns Matt Decker and Pava to nurse duty while they are on board the ship. Oda will stay as a supervisor over the two. Once the three of those leave the bridge to attend to their medical duties, Riker notices that Troy is freaking out in her chair. She then attacks everyone, saying that everyone's against her and everybody hates her. Picard then arrives along with Admiral Decker. She flings herself at Decker, pleased that finally she found someone aboard the ship who does not hate her. Troy is tackled and Decker leaves to go to his quarters while Troy is being carted off to sickbay. Later in sickbay, Crusher informs the captain of Troy's condition. Her empathic powers have been reversed, and if this reversal spreads to her physical form, she will die. Suddenly, the ship is rocked. The Dominion have arrived. The battle is short but fierce. A Klingon bird of prey is destroyed, but luckily an intrepid-class ship called the Stargazer is able to evacuate the entire crew. The Dominion ships are forced to leave. Picard speculates that this was just an attack to judge their strength. Decker then tells them that this must mean that they're close, since the Dominion are even bothering to attack at all. Later, Matt Decker is leaving sickbay. Odo stops him, and Matt tells him that he wants to meet with his father at least once before they are potentially destroyed in the next attack. Odo agrees, and the young cadet leaves for his father's quarters. Meanwhile, in engineering, Geordi is seeing shadows out of the corner of his eye. When he stops to investigate, he finds nothing. He speculates that he's just seeing ghosts after the Borg's invasion and the control over engineering that happened during the events of First Contact. Unbeknownst to him... The shadow that he saw out of the corner of his eye was actually a changeling entering a air duct. Meanwhile, back at Admiral Decker's quarters, Matt arrives and he rings the doorbell. When the door opens, Admiral Decker refuses to talk to his son, saying that there's nothing for them to speak about. Matt starts to argue when he notices that his father is dripping and still oozing from a nearby air vent. So obviously Admiral Decker is a changeling. So Changeling Decker then knocks out Matt quickly, just as Picard contacts him to inform him that they have exited communications range with the Alpha Quadrant. 
Suddenly, several Romulan ships appear and start to attack the Federation Klingon fleet. The ships are identified as the Romulan ships that were lost recently when Romulus attacked the Founder's homeworld. During the fight, Jim Hadar beam over to the Enterprise to attack hand-to-hand. The Enterprise is unable to get her shields up or her weapons online. Perhaps this is the sabotage that the Changeling was doing in engineering earlier. The attack is fierce, with several ships on the Federation side being destroyed. On the Enterprise bridge, a crazed Troy returns. And soon after that, a battle-scarred Riker also arrives. Troy seems to be very pleased to see Riker. So happy that someone on the ship does not hate her. Picard then knows that Riker must be the changeling. And when he says this, Riker turns his arms into snakes and starts to attack the captain. Just then, the real Riker arrives and blasts changeling Riker in the back. In space, another Romulan fleet arrives. This, however, is a real Romulan fleet that has been shadowing the Federation Klingon fleet the whole time. They have returned, or they have followed in order to get their revenge on that uh, former attack from uh, earlier when the Romulans lost. So this new attack is very short, with the Romulans making short work of all the Dominion's fleet. Picard realizes that Changeling Decker sent them all out here as a distraction, obviously from some real threat that's still in the Alpha Quadrant. He orders all ships to return to Deep Space Nine. To be continued in Telepathy War number one. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a good thing Troy had her little reversed intuitive mode going. Right. Very good. Very convenient that that was how Beta Zeds show this, this craziness. Exactly. And But I, I will also say that it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's so annoying with this going on. But... You know, finally, it actually ended up being useful. So, bravo. Yeah, it just seemed really con- contrived. Yeah. That, that that she just happens to be a changeling Geiger counter, you know. <laughs> oh, whoever she loves must be the changeling. Exactly. Because she hates everybody else. Hmm. Right. Yeah, so, so... Good thing that the changelings hate Beta Zeds. Otherwise, she would have not even got that from him. Right. Well, he probably hates everybody there. Because he's just a hateful changeling. They are evil. They are evil and hateful. So what do you think about the uh, Stargazer coming back to life as an Intrepid-class ship? I thought it was cool, but uh, maybe a little unnecessary. Yeah. Well, obviously that's why Picard worked so hard to protect it. Right. And it was the only other ship aside from Enterprise that was ever mentioned by name. Right. I don't know. Uh, it so, was it was it was good, and I was kind of hoping to see more of it. I thought it was interesting that that the writers even bothered reusing the name, but it's fine, cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was I was like, well, maybe they're gonna come back, and and maybe we'll get some adventures of the Stargazer. Maybe that was their plan to mm-hmm. reuse that idea later. But really, I don't maybe. know. I was. I mean, it would be kind of cool to have the Enterprise and Stargazer on a, on a mission together without all this other craziness going on. Right. And of course, the Stargazer being the name of Picard's first ship. That was right. interesting uh, reuse. Which I know everybody listening knows that. But I just of thought I'd mention it. 
Yeah, uh, now I didn't go through all the... Uh... Oh, yeah, there it is. The NCC-2893-A. Oh! Oh, that's cool. I didn't notice that. So the Stargazer is maybe the only other ship aside from the Enterprise that uses Gets letters. The, uh, yeah. O- original Gets call. reuse the call sign. A little reg- The original registry plus uh, letters at the end. Huh. Interesting. Right. Oh, you said A? So this is the first reincarnation of it. This is the first reincarnation. Well, because we saw the uh, original one get destroyed. Right. In that uh, first... Was it first season or second season where the Ferengis come to find out they had it the whole time? Yeah. it was. I don't remember that episode very well, but I think you're right. Right. And Picard had to sacrifice it. Yeah. My ship. So, what do you think about the artwork? Um, I, I liked it. I think the people look good. And I, I like the, the people costumes. Look good. Uh, some of the ships, though, really lacking any detail and way too smooth. Yeah, I'm looking right now at a Klingon battlecruiser, and it looks really simple. Like you say, too smooth. Not enough right. detail. Right. Uh, I think the people are drawn very well, in most cases very accurately. Although I will say some of the ones with Galeron, some of the panels with him don't look like the original actor, and he has a very unique look to him. But then other ones are you know, reasonably good. I thought they did a good job on him with his eyeballs popping out. Well, just because the eyeballs pop out doesn't mean that it's him. That's a key. Well, that's a key thing. You need that. <laughs> just like when that actor's on screen, all I can look at is his eyeballs. Exactly. Uh, he, he could be sitting there naked, and I wouldn't know because I'm just like, how are they staying in? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I. I well, I didn't I, catch I, I that Galron think... didn't look right, but uh, I thought everybody else looked good, and, and yeah. Data was the one that I kind of thought looked a little off from time yeah. to time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Another thing is, Pava is supposed to be, you know, a pretty formidable presence, right? Right. Pretty muscular, pretty tall, you know, kick your butt. But the first time we see her in this issue, she's right next to Riker. Right. And Riker just towers over her. And if you look at her, she's got skinny little arms. I mean, she looks like a little Barbie doll. Agreed. Yeah. And that's not Pava. I right. wasn't too happy about that. Yeah, she's shorter than Decker and Odo. Right. And I did not get that either. No, she should at least be the same height or bigger than Matt. Right. I would think that she would be bigger. I, I always thought she was much taller than, than pretty much everybody on Omega Squad, if not everybody. Sure. But I'm – yeah, right. I agree with that. But at least as tall as Matt, and she isn't even there. Right. Anyway, not I, not too crazy about that, but – Right. And I'm not too crazy about them still being in this – the weird civilian outfits that they're in. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're aboard a, a Federation ship. They are technically still cadets, so they should be wearing the cadet uniforms. Right, but they may and not have them with them. Well, Go to Replicator. They got, repli- got Replicators. Right. And even yep. if they were on the old Enterprise, just contact the Quartermaster and they'll, they'll hook them up with a cadet uniform. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it gets really annoying in the next issue with uh, Adam or whatever his name is. Yeah. In his so. weird little leather outfit or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I just wish they would be in their normal uniforms. Right. But aside from that, I thought the artwork was good. I mean, the the characters that we know from real actors, I thought looked good. 
Matt looks weird too. But if we're, if we're just going to point out at times in artwork. at times, right? But it's again, a different, different different artist, and he's basing it off of artwork and not necessarily a real actor. So, right, I'll, I'll give him that. Right. So, so um, oh, go ahead. So I think it was great that Admiral Decker exposed himself, and we finally saw a shapeshifter acting like a shapeshifter. I like it. Um, what, is it like Mr. Fantastic? Plus well, K? well, that and actually exposing himself. So what's the deal with Pradesh? It's like, uh, you know, Pradesh is like the kind of guy that always was acting like I figured he was a shapeshifter or maybe he was a Klingon from the way he looked or a Romulan. Right. What's the deal with him? He was annoying. He completely <laughs> acted like he was some kind of a covert guy and we never found out about him. So I was always like every issue with Pradesh in, involved. I was like, OK, we're going to find out that it's him. Are we going to find out he's a shapeshifter? Are we going to find out? But nothing. Finally, in this issue, we see a shapeshifter, and he's he's acting bad. Shapeshifter acting badly. So I think there was just a a satisfying thing to finally see see one in the main characters. But the way he gets found out is is so not in character. I mean, right. he he's lived amongst these humans for how long, and he's never given away who he is. And right. then here he is opening the door only half-formed and still oozing out of the air vent. I mean, right. it doesn't so, take that long to pull yourself together. And... So was he oozing back after... Yeah, he was oozing back after his sabotage, right? Right. Okay. Well, you know, he's trying to get to two different places quick. I mean, maybe he just didn't have the time. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't buy it. I just... It just was convenient. I would have rather them him find out who he is due to conversation. You know, right. he say something that only his father would know, and then he, this guy doesn't know it. Wait a minute, you're the shapeshifter. God. Ah. And then get attacked that way. Just well, oozing out of the vent was was kind of a lazy way to do it. I thought. Well, at least it was expeditious. It was that. And you know, you only had what 48 pages to deal with, so you have to be quick. <laughs> right. Anyways, and then why doesn't he kill Matt? I mean, spoiler alert: Matt doesn't die. He he just gets knocked out. I mean, if right. he's really evil, changing then he should have just snapped his neck. Yeah. Yep. And of course, the thing at the end of this issue that that came to my mind was, well, well, where's the real Admiral Decker then? I mean, he's your father. Shouldn't you care about that? I mean, there was absolutely nothing. No, nothing in this issue talked about it. Uh... He should be dead because uh, why else keep him alive? Well, I agree, I agree. Or he's he's imprisoned, but why, why even bother with that? He's probably dead. So by the end of this issue, Matt's father is probably dead, and they don't say anything about it. Right. But right. Whatever. Yeah, Matt's not even upset about it. No, not as far as we can see. Now, the one thing that the shapeshifter does in this issue that I really, really liked is mm -hmm. the snake arms. I oh. thought that was really <laughs> cool because. Because, you know, the founders can turn into anything, and mm -hmm. they're not limited to animals and monsters and stuff that we have mm -hmm. here on Earth. Right. Especially when you're drawing them and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to create a practical effect mm -hmm. for the TV show. Mm -hmm. So for him to turn his arms into these leech-like snake things, I thought was really cool. You know, nothing really comes of it because he gets blasted fairly quickly, but it, it was just a cool way to 
use your own assets in right. a battle. Right. And kind of different from what Odo does. Right. Odo doesn't go snake arms. No. That I recall. No. But I think that's more of a limitation as far as, you know, the seat you know, the CG at the time and mm-hmm. the abili- ability to do practical effects on a TV sure. budget. Sure. But even, but I'm saying even in the comics. Yeah, no. I mean, he does the Mr. Fantastic thing, but I don't remember ever seeing Snake Arms. Nope, he's never done it. Yeah. Although we've seen him turn into, you know, other people and other creatures that are so convincing that he can right. trick, like, retinal scanners and things like that. But, yeah, he can't make Snake Arms or human faces for some reason. <laughs> Beating you know, a dead horse? Yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Not a problem. Okay, definitely one thing I was kind of wondering about is, in the Admiral's briefing towards the beginning, if he was so worried one of them might be a changeling. Right. So that, And if he was that worried about somebody being a changeling on the mission, then why didn't they just bring a Dom? It's like, screw what Bashir says. Bring the guy who's supposed to be the changeling detector. Hello? Um, but of course, in the end, we know why, because he didn't want that anyway. But, I mean, if if the Admiral was really the Admiral, and if he really wanted to, or suspected there were changelings in, in the fleet, uh, then he should have brought a Dom, hello? Or Picard should have suggested it, or somebody should have had a few brain cells to main, mention that, but whatever. Right. Or at least do, you know, we've all seen John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> Just yes. get, a, get a drop of blood, see if it turns into liquid goo, or if it's you know stays stays in blood form. Good point. Good point. Yeah, uh, there there's other ways. I mean, and they've even brought up that they can do blood tests to find <clears throat> out if you're a changeling or not. So right. And if you can do that, then why can't you do it when you're teleporting somebody? Because when you're teleporting somebody, you should know at the molecular level what they are. Mm-hmm. Oh, this guy's goo, not blood. Eh, we'll still beam him over and, and not red flag that guy at all. <sighs> well, that would ruin too many situations if they actually <laughs> brought that up. Right. So. So, anyways. Yeah, I, I just kept thinking of John Carpenter's The Thing, just... Yeah. You know. At least on The Thing, it was, you know, suspenseful, because you really didn't know who the bad guy was. Here, you know, they beat you over the head that Admiral Decker sure isn't acting right. wonder what's wrong with Admiral Decker. Uh-huh. And, it's, and right. Yep. I agree. Anyway, so we so at least we have that uh, settled. And that is the last comment I have for this one. Well, what would you think of the, the space fights? Uh, I, I liked seeing them. I just thought that, uh, you know, like you said, or I think we both said, that the ships and stuff aren't detailed enough to make the the battles all that engaging. So even when like the Klingon bird of prey blows up and the Intrepid class blow, ship blows up, it just doesn't get you that wow factor, you know, that that space battles normally do in a comic book. Right. However, I will say that that two-page spread where they've got like this is towards the end mm-hmm. where they've got like uh I don't know, like like 11 ships drawn and and like three exploding ships and stuff. Eh, it's kind of cool, though. But, yeah. Well, it's cool as far as a lot of stuff going on, but it doesn't... It's 
Yeah, it's, it's not the best artwork. It's still simplified drawings. It, they are simplified drawings. Although the Enterprise itself looks pretty good, but that's the closest one. Everything that's further away in the background is, is quite simplified. Right. Yeah. Like the Excelsior class ship and et cetera. Yeah. Now, it's funny that you mentioned the Excelsior because I had one note on that ship. Is right. it supposed to be the Excelsior? Well, I don't know if it's the Excelsior, but it's Excelsior class, which makes it pretty old. But Right. And the only reason I say that is because if you look on the page where they're all coming out of the wormhole... There's no Excelsior the, class ship? It's the only time we can see the Excelsior class ship. Oh. It's, it's half covered up by the words, but we can kind of see the the registry, and it looks like it's NCC-2000. Two zero 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 zero. Okay, so it's pretty high. Well, the Excelsior is NCC two thousand. So I'm wondering. Okay, so I I thought you said three zeros. Uh, But no, you're right. There's two zeros. Uh, And the third, the third one. Oh no, no, it's five. It's five. Okay, I zoomed in and it's five. When I was just looking at it, I thought I thought they purposely made that last number ambiguous so that you could think that maybe it was the Excelsior, but. Never mind. That's, a, that's an old ship. I mean, unless, unless there's a letter that we can't see at the end of it. That's an old ship. Right. Hmm. Well, it's an old class ship, so you would think that they would eventually quit making those. Well, I agree. Or if they kept making them, then the numbers would be, the registry number would be, you know, higher. Um, right. At least five digits. But that's 2005, which isn't all that far away from 1701. Right. But, right. So it's the so fifth, that, it's the fifth one after the Excelsior. If they if they number them in order. Well, I, I don't know what the name what the numbering convention is, but except that it keeps going up over time. That's about as far as I know. Right. But, um, you know, maybe there's an there's a, maybe there's another letter at the end. Who knows? Otherwise, it's a damn old ship. Agreed. Okay. All right, that's it. Okay, so let's go on and find out how this wraps up in Star Trek Telepathy War number one. So this is the only issue which is a standalone issue, and it ties up at least all the loose ends that I'm aware of. It's got a published date of 1997, November. Writer is Chris Cooper. Penciler, Patrick Zercher. Inker, Steve Mancus. Colors, Kevin Tinsley. Letterer, R.S. and Comicrafts, Albert Tashensny. Assistant Editor, Polly Watson. Editor, Bobby Chase. Editor-in-Chief, Bob Harras. The action-packed cover proclaims, At last, Star Trek Next Generation meets Deep Space Nine meets Starfleet Academy. They show Riker is fighting mano e mano with a Jem'Hadar soldier, while Troy and Edom are visibly connecting their minds via electricity bolts. Spock's head is looking stoic. A Telosian head is located in the right beneath the Enterprise E. Pava is charging into action with a phaser rifle. On Romulus, the normally emotionally in control Spock is crying and shouting at the top of his lungs, almost out of control. Though it is not visible to his assistants, Spock is caught between deceivers of the mind, the Telosians, and deceivers of the flesh, the shape-shifting founders. Spock's assistants attempt to help, but are told to get lost by Spock. 
The assistants do not know what to make of Spock's apparent insanity and voice their concerns for the escalating conflict with the Dominion. They mention the Enterprise's assault on the Dominion and the fact that they have not been heard from since they ventured into the Gamma Quadrant. A voice from an unseen source pities the limited beings, saying even if they could grasp what was happening, they would be too late to do anything about it. Meanwhile, at the Bajoran wormhole, the Enterprise-E and their task force of Starfleet and Klingon ships exit into the Alpha Quadrant, with three Jem'Hadar ships on their tail. Picard orders the task force to maintain course and speed. The deceiving founders want them to be tied up in the Gamma Quadrant and away from the Dominion's true target, the telepathic races of the Federation. There is a telepathic conference on Alaya II that must be their immediate target. A fourth Jem'Hadar ship appears behind them and is immediately attacked by the other three. Riker reports the ship won't stand a chance. Picard immediately orders the fourth ship's crew beamed aboard the Enterprise. The fourth ship is destroyed, but two of its occupants materialize on the transporter pad. A Jem'Hadar is helping what appears to be the real Admiral Decker off the transport pad. He says he returns the true Admiral Decker and a warning. Meanwhile, on Alaya 2 at the conference, Laksana Troy is making out with a red-skinned, blonde-haired alien named Uxamel. He is a telepath like her and really grooves on her super-telepathic powers. He says all the telepathic races of the Federation must organize to help to expose the shapeshifters wherever they may be hiding in Federation space. He says he must leave to attend to his ill daughter, but will return to the radiant Luxana. The alien shares a mental image of his world, Zox, and Mrs. Troy is moved to tears over the world's unparalleled beauty. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the inversion of Troy's telepathic abilities are causing her to lash out at Dr. Crusher and a nurse that are trying to help her. The doctor is finally able to talk Troy into a more calm state and tells the nurse when they reach DS9, Troy will be transferred to the better facilities on DS9. Later, at DS9, the renegade Jem Hadar that returned the real Admiral Decker to the Enterprise is in Sisko's office. Edam is there, too, to ensure the Jem Hadar's truthfulness. Worf, Odo, and Data are also present. The Jem'Hadar starts by confirming that a contingent of Jem'Hadars were stowed away in shipping containers on a transport vessel headed for Alaya II. Sesko cuts in and says they are to attack the conference while most of the fleet is tied up in the Gamma Quadrant under the orders of the shapeshifter posing as Admiral Decker. The Jem'Hadar says the part they do not know about is that the Founders have more in store for the Federation than just the attack at the conference. He is not sure exactly what, but something. When Odo tries to order the Jem'Hadar Labir to tell more, he scoffs at Odo and says he is no god, and he will not take his or any Founder's orders. He does not have a dependency on the White, and is fighting for the freedom of his people. If he can help the Federation, he figures he will be one step closer to freeing his people. Data says they will consider his information. 
Worf angrily says his wards are all part of another Dominion trick. Idam says everything the Jem'Hadar said he believes is the truth. Odo says whether he believes he is telling the truth or not, he could still be a pawn of the Dominion. Sisko agrees and says it's time they stop playing into the Dominion's hands. At that moment, the real Admiral Decker enters the room, physically supported by his son Matt. He says rather than putting all their eggs into one basket, they are going to split their forces. The Enterprise will go alone to the conference, while the rest of the task force will stay at DS9 to deal with any Dominion attack. Worf has an encounter with Pava, who makes it very clear she would like to get to know Worf better. Jadzia fumes in anger. When Pava is gone, he tells Jadzia there is nothing to be concerned about. He prefers older women. Kira is entertained by the fireworks show that follows. Matt asks his father about helping the Telosians. The Admiral tells him they themselves are a threat, and due to that, they are the last of the Federation's priorities at the moment. The Admiral orders Matt to leave him here at DS9, while he goes to the Enterprise to help save the telepathic conference. In the Enterprise, they prepare for a daring shortcut through the plasma storms of the Badlands. They will follow the ion trails of the Maquis ships, and Mr. Data will fly the ship to alter courses at android speed when and where needed. Picard advises the amazing android to turn off his emotion chip. Back at DS9 in the infirmary, Bashir and his medical team, as well as Nog, Troy, and T'Prell, are working on Troy and T'Prell's medical condition. Bashir figures their emotional issues are due to some kind of Dominion infection that they may intend to use against all Federation telepaths. Eventually, Nog's annoying whistling, of all things, gives Bashir an insight. Idam comes by the infirmary and gives Bashir a way to test out their new theory. Meanwhile, the Enterprise arrives at Alaya too, in time to beam an away team led by Riker down to the telepathic conference. Luxana Troy runs up to Riker, saying he is just in time. Picard hails Riker and tells him the evacuation is cancelled. They are being fired upon by Jem'Hadar ships and cannot drop shields. Riker and his away team start moving the delegates out of the open and into buildings, but are cut off by a phalanx of Jem'Hadar's beaming in. They take casualties as the Jem'Hadar fire frantically on them. Riker gets the delegates to cover. They return fire, but for all the Jem'Hadar that they hit, more continue to beam in. Pava suggests they use the telepaths as she did in her hand-to-hand combat with the three Jem'Hadar. They do so, and due to the ability to predict Jem'Hadar moves before they take place, they start to hold their own against the larger Dominion force. Meanwhile in space, the Enterprise is holding her own against multiple Jem'Hadar ships. Labir is on the bridge to give Picard his insights. He does so, pointing out the Jem'Hadar ground forces could have stayed cloaked longer and bypassed the away team to get to the telepaths, but they did not. 
Meanwhile, Dr. Brashear and Dr. Crusher are in Sisko's office telling the captain the attack on the conference is a setup. The real threat is from the meme virus that is affecting Troy and Deprell. Bashir explains the virus is not biological, but rather a compelling thought that could not be detected by normal medical means. Edom's telepathic powers were able to identify it. Dr. Crusher goes on to say it was designed to incapacitate telepaths. Edom says its effects vary by race, the Telosians fall into a coma, Vulcans lose control, Betazoids, empaths get their signals crossed. It spreads at the speed of thought at the slightest mental contact. It appears to have an incubation period. Edom picks up Sisko's baseball and explains the Dominion's plans to execute a triple play. One, attack DS9 to convince the Dominion intends to attack the telepathic conference. Number two, get us to fight like mad to get the telepaths safely home. Number three, the telepaths infect their home world's populations. Sisko tries to contact Picard, but just now finds their communications are jammed. Sisko and most of the main players jump into the Defiant to get to Alaya 2 ASAP. The Jem'Hadar attack them along the way to spice things up, and they follow the Enterprise's dissipating trail through the Badlands. Meanwhile, back at DS9, Dr. Bashir and Dr. Crusher outfit Edam and Deanna with some special shiny silver brain equipment. Edam uses it to find exactly the right new thought to displace the meme thought and cure Diana. When he finally cures Troy of the meme virus, Deprel will be next. Meanwhile in the Enterprise, Labir is shouting that the Jem'Hadar attack could have cut through the Enterprise's shields long ago. Their attack vectors are all wrong. They are purposely not trying to destroy the Enterprise, but why? A crewman that looks like a Klingon reports the Defiant is entering the system. Sisko hails Picard and tells him not to take any of the delegates home or they will incapacitate the entire planet's populations. Riker reports the attacking Jem'Hadar are beaming out. A female Vorta partially beams onto the bridge, saying, It's a pity they figured out the real plan. Of course, now they will have to all be annihilated. Four more Jem'Hadar ships appear, ready to finish off the Enterprise and the Defiant. All appears lost, but Labir shouts, Look! An overwhelming number of Starfleet ships come out of warp, ready to annihilate the Jem'Hadar forces. The Vorta captain bids Picard and company goodbye as she returns to her ship and her forces retreat. Picard and Sisko are both at a loss how those ships could be here. They were out of position. Then a voice from above merely says, We did it. The image of a Telosian appears on the Enterprise bridge. He tells them they created the illusion of the Federation battle fleet. Though not real, it appeared real enough to chase off the Dominion forces. Once Cadet Astrin reached out to them with the cure for the meme virus, they assimilated it instantly. Freed from their infection, they could easily reach out their minds to Elia too. They consider their debt to Cadet Astrin for curing them fully paid. They want no further contact with the primitive entities of the Federation. The Telosian disappears. Images from Zox are reaching DS9, the Enterprise, the Defiant, and the rest of the Federation. A delegate left for his home early, 
and overnight the population was stricken deaf, dumb, and blind. Many parts of their world are in flame. The current, the cure, was too late for them. Riker estimates it will take decades for them to rebuild. Luxana Troy weeps to herself silently. On Romulus, Spock has recovered from the meme virus and appears quite back to normal to his assistants. Spock retires to his meditation area and is in contact with the Telosian leader. It was the Telosians that cured Spock. The Telosian reports to Spock that they returned the meme virus back on the remaining Jem'Hadar soldiers. In their expert hands, they wipe the soldiers' minds. Spock theorizes that the Telosians have long wanted a sturdy, servile labor force to rebuild their planet's surface. The Jem'Hadar they now have would be ideal for such a task. Spock goes on to say the Telosians could have engineered the entire situation to attain this end result. The Telosian does not admit or deny to anything. He merely says goodbye and they will not be communicating any further. Meanwhile, the Enterprise and Defiant have arrived back at DS9. The cadets of Omega Squad have been reunited as has the DS9 and Enterprise crews. They bid each other adieu. The cadets get a big party when they return to Starfleet Academy. Picard and Matt Decker have a final talk together and end up looking up at the starry sky to the new frontier, the mind. The end. The mind. The mind. Great. So they're saying that the next big thing for the Federation, the folks of the Federation to do, is to explore the mind. Really? Yep. Just sit around and think. Perfect. So they, so we can all become Telosians or something. Right. I don't think so. Who doesn't want a giant butthead? <laughs> a giant throbbing butthead. Exactly. So the Telosians... I, I liked the Telosians uh, in this story. I, I liked them being there to save the day the and everything. Right, yeah. right, right. And to imply that they've always had the power to do whatever they wanted to, you know, galaxy-wide, if necessary. Right. Well, the so, idea that they can transport their power vast distances to get to Elia too, is pretty scary. Well, uh, they've already s- done it, but they did it with Spock in that Menagerie episode. Not Menagerie, but, you know, yeah, the Menagerie episode. Cause, yeah, I mean, they, were, they did. Well, as they were traveling, sure, Menendez, or Mendez, right? Uh, Admiral Mendez, whatever. So he was never on the shuttlecraft, right? Right. Right. Okay. Uh, and, I guess you're right. I mean, but... And he was, you know, he was projecting the episode, The Cage, mm-hmm. that was also being projected all the way back, almost as far away as Earth. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but the yeah. So, where is their range? I don't know. Could they have projected themselves all the way to the Gamma Quadrant if necessary? I don't know. Yeah. But I'm thinking that might be the only pin between this and Voyager. I'm thinking maybe the Telosians will somehow, when they're cleansing the virus galaxy-wide or whatever, that, that that's how they're going to make some sort of appearance in Voyager. Oh, really? Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. So yeah. the only person that really is a telepath is Tuvok. And Kess, because... Oh, Kess was telepathic? Okay. 
Yeah, well, right. in fact, that's why she had to leave because she became so powerful that she had to leave, and then she oh. became, <clears throat> you know, then she came back for that one episode, and she was like all powerful and stuff like that, almost not quite Q like, but she was extremely powerful, and she even like launched Voyager so many, so many light years away to give them a little head start. Right. I think that actually might be the last episode that the uh, Kazon and stuff were in, because they basically said that, you know, after that event, Kess pushed them so far that they'll never, they'll never be uh, bothered with, you know, the first two seasons worth of villains that they've established. Right, right. I might be mistaken on that. It's been a while, but I think that's that's how they 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 got that little boost. Hmm. Cool. So, anyways. So what do you think of this issue, the the wrap-up issue? I think it did a decent job of wrapping things up. You know, there was a lot of things going on at one time, and but, you know, all the threads kind of came together at the end and really pretty much wrapped up everything, so that's good. I did think that Dr. Crusher was pushed to the back a lot, and Bashir was really the... Uh, the main medical force between getting to the bottom of things. In fact... And when I was first seeing the redhead lady that was working with Bashir, I didn't even know it was Crusher. Right. Because she just wasn't, I mean, she almost was acting like a, like a nurse or something. And she doesn't really look like Gates McFadden that much. Um, a bit. Um, I mean, I finally realized it, but, I mean, Bashir was doing so much talking. You'd think the more senior medical doctor would have more going on with figuring the whole thing out. Agreed. I had the same, same note. I would have rather... Crusher stay aboard the Enterprise. If if Bashir was going to be the star player in it, um, you oh. know, not even don't even have her there. Right. Oh, and that's another thing that kind of bugged me. Um, Beverly says that Deep Space Nine has better facilities than the Enterprise E. It's like, really? I mean, okay, so this is the latest greatest starship, latest technology, everything, and you know. Enterprise D always had great medical facilities. I can only imagine that E is even better. And right. what's D Deep Space Nine? Yeah, they got more space, they got more room, but it's an old Cardassian mining sh- station. Mining, exactly. It was, it was an ore processing station. Right. Um, which they they upgraded to some degree when they took it over with Federation technology. But really, I mean, I, I don't I don't agree with that. Agreed. Yeah. Anyway, right. <sighs> and and the uh, whistling a tune tune stuck in your head. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I think the whistling was was kind of a good way to give an example of how things can get stuck on your head in your head. But the idea that that's what was um, that's the basis of the whole virus is like really. It's like, I don't know. It seems a bit far-fetched, but you know, whatever. Yeah, the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, okay, how does him suddenly whistling tie in with them, their their symptoms? And so they are both telepathic, and, and they the Ferengi are so anti-telepathic, you know, that, that no telepath can even affect them. Right. So I kept thinking, okay, this is this is the Ferengi manifestation of it. And I kept thinking that was the direction they were going to go. And then for him to just say, like, you can't get that tune out of your head? That gives me a great idea. And I was uh, like, oh, that's bad. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well. uh, Yeah, it definitely could have been better. Right. So I didn't really care for that that part. Um, I wasn't too crazy about that either. And then that Adam is able to, you know, he never actually figures it out on screen, so we don't know how he did it. He's just well, he's just trying working to give away. her another idea. Exactly. Until apparently he finally found it. Yeah, what was it? I don't know. I would have liked to know. It doesn't it. matter. It doesn't matter. And would it be different for every person? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? So he reached out to the Telosians and cured them. Well, exactly. So is the thought that displaces um, things out of Deanna's head the same thing that's going to cure all the Telosians? Right. That have no common cultural or, you know, uh, experiences and stuff. It's like, it seems unlikely, but whatever, the whole thing's unlikely, whatever. Right. I'm just saying, if if they don't want to tell me what it was, then they could have just said, you know, he gave up and he contacted the Telosians and gave them this idea of a cure, and then they just do it. And then they don't really have to explain it. Telosians did it, and they don't want to talk about it. Okay, but... But... You know, maybe, I mean, things are happening pretty fast here. I mean, does Edam have to explain every detail? Yes. <laughs> to me, <laughs> yes. Anyway. And, and, you know, so, okay, that. And then I think we talked about this last issue with telepathic prompts to other people. When With the whole fight between the Jemadar and, and everybody. And as long as the telepaths were able to... Say hey, he's gonna dodge left, and then you kick right, right. kind of thing. Yeah, right, right. And that you know, it's more. I'm not. I'm not a fighter, so I don't know. But but you know, like you said, I think it's all it's all muscle memory and and instinct, not necessarily that they're planning these things out. Like there's probably yeah, it's probably a combination of both. Uh, I mean, there's probably some thought about exactly how you're going to to attack, but um, yeah. A lot of muscle memory and that kind of stuff. It's a combination of both, and I would think they couldn't read both. I mean, they just be think. I, mean, I would think they just be able to read the, uh, you know, the real thoughts of right. maybe planning a particular move, not right. the instinct. Yeah, and like saying, "Hey, this guy's done. this guy's climbing up that hill over there. Shoot, you know that uh-huh. I could get." But when you're fighting hand to hand, then they're like, "Okay, dodge left, duck under, right. flip over his head, shoot right. him in the back." Yeah. Well, if I you didn't know. like it before, you're not going to like it here because everybody's <laughs> doing it. And there's a bunch of telepaths to help them. So. Right. And this now gets every fist fight or fight from now on, you got to think, oh, well, this could all be solved by having Luxon on your away team from now on. Nobody yeah, would ever but... get hurt again. Right. Well, the other thing is. Um, not all I, I didn't think all telepaths were powerful enough to be able to do something like this because um, well maybe because she's she's half human but <clears throat> Troy never read minds just emotions right so um, are all those telepaths at the conference able to read minds which seems to be a pretty strong manifestation of telepathic powers well Vulcans can't read minds unless they're in physical unless touch. they're physical touch right okay so there you go so there were enough of these, mm, I'll call them super telepaths, that they could read minds at a distance very quickly, by the way, 
that they were able to uh, help Riker's uh, away team, of which, uh, well, so how many were there? Like maybe 15 people or 12 people, or I'm not sure how many they drew in there, but there couldn't have been that many. Right. Anyway, it's a good thing they had a lot yeah. of telepaths, super telepaths around. Well, it, it was a super telepath conference. Yeah. Which well, was, boy, was that convenient. Right. Now, did they mention that at all before this issue, or, or and I missed it? No. Because when, when it came up, I was just like, no. there's a telepath conference? Wow, yeah. that's convenient. It's very convenient. <laughs> and it's like, excuse me, <laughs> the telepaths are supposed to be your weapon against the Dominion, and they've already attempted, had an attempt on Edom's life. So, and now you're going to have a conference where they're all brought together in one place. I would be having a lot of security there. Or, did you ever hear of conference calls? You know? <laughs> I don't know. Putting all your eggs in one basket like that and not having enough protection? I don't know. Right. Yeah. And, oh, wow. That was, that was a head-scratcher for me. Yeah, yeah. Well... Uh, and, and I was really disappointed in Luxana's characterization in this one because I know that she gets around, uh, but just two issues ago she was getting married to a blue dude, right? While she's already married to a changeling <clears throat> dude, and then here she is two with issues later dude. making out with a red dude, <laughs> and I'm just like, come on! Ah, it's You're still be... married to Odo technically, so. Get back with him and quit screwing around with all these other people. <laughs> You're such a prude, man. I guess so. That's funny. Wow. Yeah, I don't care that he's pining away for Kira. He's your husband. Go take care of him. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, she's I just obviously she is. Yeah, that Two is kind of weird. Plus, she didn't really say that much. I mean, I you're just in time, Riker. Jeez. Yeah, you're just in time, Riker. And then at the beginning of the issue, you know, just this these this page or two with the red guy, right? So, and you kind of kind of saw what was going to happen. Now I didn't see that he was infected and was going to carry an infection back, but right. I was like, okay, you can see maybe they're going to attack it. Maybe that Jem'Hadar uh, force is going to attack his planet first. And then it'll be like, oh, uh, the red guy I was just making out, I fell in love with, is dead. Uh, I was so, thinking the same thing. Uh, it, it, that looked pretty obvious. Um, although I, you know, I didn't know exactly how it was going to happen, but I figured the planet was going to get nuked somehow. And it right. was kind of. Or obvious. I figured his ship was going to be like the first casualty, like while it's leaving orbit. Something. Their right. their tech fleet arrives right. and destroys him. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't know that he was going to carry a a meme in his head that would then take out ten <laughs> percent of the population. His, exactly. So that's kind of sad when you think about it, but you know. And don't they in the drawing where they show the the entire planet on fire or something? Don't isn't that him in the lower right hand corner or something carrying somebody, maybe his own daughter? Right, and then he they say he kills himself. Yeah. Drag. Total drag. Anyway, another thing that mystifies me is why were they even attacking the conference? I mean, wasn't the Enterprise in the middle of beaming all those people up 
They were going to evacuate. And what, do you ha- what happens after they evacuate? Well, they're going to get them back home. So why are you attacking them then? To, to, to make them even more fast about trying to get people back to their homes? It's like, you guys had what you wanted, and then you start attacking them. I, I didn't get that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess they had to attack them because that was the actual spreading of the virus? That, well, that they had the virus? Well, I, I thought the conference goers already had the conference. Oh, already well, they had, had it. Yeah, you're right, because otherwise the red, the red guy had it. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, why, why even bother? Exactly. Your plan worked. Back off. Anyway. And then I really didn't understand why the Vorta beamed over to the bridge and was gloating or whatever. Right. That didn't seem... I mean, I liked seeing a female <laughs> Vorta. I don't remember seeing too many of those, but... Right. A lot of things. A lot of things. But overall, I, I, I liked... I like the story arc. Yeah, yeah it, it was good. It, it was nice how they've been able to uh, wrap things up. Although, one thing that was not wrapped up is Admiral Pradesh. Whatever happened to him? Was he just oh, he, a jerk? He's just, or, or, he'll, he'll be back. I oh, guess. Well, I well, yeah, as Starfleet Academy continues on. But um, by the end of this issue, that pretty much ties up all the ends. I still, I still want to know what his story is. Because he was... He <laughs> well, he was he was sure acting like uh like some kind of a uh, covert spy with a different agenda from most Starfleet people. Right. He was acting like Admiral Decker was when, yes, when he, he was. Changed. Like, I mean, yes, he a was. lot of the things they were Big saying time. matched. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, maybe that's like you say. Maybe that's something we'll find out in the next uh, Starfleet Academy issue. So can I tell you the one big miss that that I was disappointed in? Mm-hmm. Go. Yeah. Spock. I wanted Spock in the thick of it, not mm. just right, screaming on a couple pages and then Spock. the last page being, oh, I'm okay now. Spock was underused in this entire thing. I mean, the best thing he ever did was be the defense for the students, and that really didn't achieve much. Nope. And then other than that, nothing. He did nothing. Right, and it. I mean, and and the the length of time that it took for him to manifest the uh, the symptoms. I mean, he mm-hmm. was able to get infected, still do the whole trial and all that other stuff, and then make it back to Romulus, and I'm assuming be there for a while before he started getting Cracking snippy up. and and crying all the time. Nah. <laughs> so I mean, he he, it took him a long time to start showing symptoms, where Troy and everybody else, pretty quick. Yeah. Well, this whole incubation Well, the red period. dude happened super fast. Well, I think this whole incubation period thing is like a, a very handy thing that makes no sense. I mean, if you've got a thought in your head, you've got a thought in your head. There's no incubation period. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you mean the way thoughts work? I mean, if you get a tune stuck in your head, that pretty much happens right away, doesn't right. it? I don't know. And it does seem to... The, the length of the incubation period seems to vary, and it just happens to vary in ways that is just perfect for the storyline. <laughs> but, whatever. Convenient. Very convenient. Mm. 
So we still don't know if um, Tapril is Romulan or a brainwashed Vulcan. I was really hoping well, that would also come out with with everybody probing her mind. I thought that might come out in this this story arc, but it did not. Well, I suppose she could be a brainwashed uh, Vulcan, but I really doubt that. I mean, she's she's Romulan, right? Um, yeah, don't you think? I'm thinking so. I, yeah. I think so. Yes. Yeah. But yes, um, people are in each other's heads all over the place. I mean, Yadam has to be in her head big time to uh, cure her and stuff. And it's just amazing to me that they. All they can say is, there's something here. But they don't know what it is. It's like, wow, that Romulan brainwashing or whatever is good. <laughs> I mean, Edom is like, like, he's super telepath. He's reading my, people's minds all over the place. And he still hasn't figured out what the deal is with her. Anyway. Very convenient. All right, we talked about it last issue, artwork. What did you think? I thought the artwork was very good. I, I think, I think especially it struck me that some close-up drawings of Admiral Decker was like, "Wow, he, that looks really good." Like so a I, real person, I, or like somebody that that would like a, an actor that you can think of, or he just looks good. I as... I, th- I thought, I thought it was detailed. He looked good and believable. Right. I thought it was very good. I agree, and I thought the ship battles looked really good, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, uh, I, I I had no complaints on the artwork in yeah. this one. I thought it was think, really good all the I way think through. The, I think the Gem Hadars they look really detailed and cool, and the Badlands I thought were depicted really nicely mm-hmm. with with the Enterprise and Defiant both going through the the Badlands. I thought I thought it looked really nice. Right. So kudos to the artist on this one. Yeah. Although, although that Badlands thing, that does kind of look weird. I mean, it looked good and everything, but the, like, yellow and orange and red kind of swirlies, I thought that would... It looked good. It just looked a little odd. Well, that's how it looks on TV, so... Yeah. You can't fault them for making it look like it does in the... Well, I, I really don't remember the, the storms on Deep Space Nine to that level of detail. But I think it just looks kind of... It looks cool, but it just looks... Well, I hate to say unrealistic, but it just <laughs> looks kind of uh, kind of fanciful to me. But All right, So I guess yeah. that's the way it looked like uh, on the special effects on the TV show. So yeah. you're probably right. Yep, I like yeah. it. Uh, Crusher does not look like Crusher, though. Because I'm looking back... So I, I went to the, the shot with the Enterprise-y going through the... The Badlands. And then right across from there is the drawings of Bashir and Crusher. And I'm sorry, other than red hair, that does not look like Crusher one stinking bit. All right, I'll give you that one. Uh, well, no, I, I think I think the artistry is really good on this issue. But I'm telling you now, that looks like some 20-something red-headed hottie, not, <laughs> you know, middle-aged Crusher. Well, I don't. I can't. I can't remember how Gates McFadden looked in First Contact, which is obviously who he should be basing this off of. Mm-hmm. So, well, I know that I know that I'm Troy not... didn't quite look like Troy in First Contact, but I I, I can't oh. remember <laughs> Gates McFadden. Well, Troy had too much uh, plastic surgery, but um, oh, are you saying Gates McFadden did too? So he I, I don't made know to I, look I, younger. 
I don't know. I, I it never jumped out at me because so if she did, I didn't notice it. Yeah, that didn't jump to me out to me at all uh, either. Uh, but but this look, I mean, Crasher looks like she's a twenty something. Yeah, agreed. She, she doesn't quite look right. No, but she looks good. Just not right. Pava looks good and muscular. You know, she got some some arm muscle going, which is more to her uh, tradition, better than the previous issue. Right. And, and you know, in regards to that, I loved the flirting with her and Worf and Dax. Ah. I thought that was that scene was actually pretty cute. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Especially what Worf says to Dax. Yeah, she makes my blood boil. Yeah, mine too. I mean... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's good too. But I was really... Yeah, I was mainly talking about I like older women. What do you mean by that? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it reminds me of interactions with my wife and I. Anyway. Okay. What size shirt do you think I should take? Really? Yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think I've exhausted all my comments. Oh, no, I did have one more. The uh, the Jim Hadar who saved the real Admiral Decker. Yeah. Did it explain why he's not addicted to Ketrazel White? Not one bit. Okay. Not one bit. Just I'm uh, I'm not, and I'm a freedom fighter. Yeah, that that seemed kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. Now, it's been a long time since I watched Deep Space Nine. I can't remember if there was a sect of non-addicted Jim Hadar, but I can't. I don't remember there being one. I don't remember I, there being one either. But wasn't there? Wasn't there an episode of Deep Space Nine that was talking about some kind of Ketracel white white cure or something? Well, yeah, um, Bashir was trying to create one, right? And then okay. it was the whole, you know, should we give them a cure? You know, for our, our hated enemies, should we give them mm-hmm. a cure to, to something? You know, that right. it was it was that kind of episode, right? Exactly. Well, if they do with what Labir is doing here, heck yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, I've got nothing else to say about it. Just that it was good. Nice wrap-up. Quite a nice, lengthy story arc. Right. Lots of characters involved. Lots of characters we uh, know and love. And uh, it was pretty good. It was a good Yeah, ride. I was really enjoying these last two issues, especially with, with the Enterprise-E and its crew. I, I wish there was more Enterprise-E stuff. Yeah. You know... Uh, because even even in unlimited number seven, I think we go back to um, next generation TV show time frame, right? Which I like that and all, but we we had it for eight ten years. Yeah. I would like to see you know what, what was going on between first contact and uh, insurrection, which would be the time frame as these stories, right? Anyways, good stuff. I liked it. All right, well then, I guess we'll uh, close off, and next week we'll be back. We'll finish off the telepathy war with the Voyager tie-in. That's issue number 13 of their ongoing. Mm -hmm. And then I think we'll actually finish off Deep Space Nine's Marvel run next week as well with issues number 14 and 15. Oh, 14 and 15 are the last ones. Okay. Right. Yeah. We're getting towards the end of uh, Marvel's uh, Star Trek run. As short and brief as it was. Yeah, it's weird that Marvel never had the you know either time they had the Star Trek licenses they they didn't ever have it for too terribly long. Well, they mustn't have been selling enough, otherwise they would have kept it going. Um, right. That's too bad because 
you know, some of these issues are pretty good. Yeah, no. I, and, you know, with the Pike stories and stuff like that, I mean, they were really <laughs> they were really pushing it. And Starfleet Academy, you right. know, we don't have to just tell the stories of the people that you see on TV every week. We can tell yeah. new stories, new people. Right. Yeah. So I can't mend them for doing that because aside from a few ongoing or a few IDW miniseries, they're the only company that's really done that. Yeah. Well, good stuff. I do enjoy them. Too bad the runs weren't longer. And then after that, I think we'll finish up Voyager in episode number 179, and then we'll start their miniseries. Uh, they had a miniseries called Splashdown. Hmm. Um, so we get a little bit more Voyager than we are going to have Deep Space Nine. Okay. With that, we'll let everybody go and be back next week. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.